this sucks. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Play This, the podcast where two old friends talk about video games and some other stuff sometimes, like the World Cup. We're going to talk about that. Sorry, Daniel. Great. <laughs> I'm Max. And I'm Daniel. And I just watched the final of the World Cup. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I deserve congratulations. <laughs> I did it. I watched it so good. Mm-hmm. France won. Right. Cool. They, they beat Croatia. Nice. Four to two. Uh, were you rooting for France? Uh, I wasn't rooting against France, but, you know, Croatia were the underdogs, and I'd been uh, supporting them on and off the whole tournament because they have like the best midfield in the world and it's it was great to see a team go so much further than a lot of people thought they could uh but in the end it's hard to root against france because that team was a lot of fun to watch and played beautiful soccer and they had some great people on their team and a 19 year old named Kylian mbappe who scored a goal in the world cup final and he was the first teenager to score a goal in a world cup final since pele wow so and that's pretty good yeah so I guess what you're saying is that they were all winners that day, today, the day we're recording this. <laughs> yes. Is that a reference to something? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just you being very sweet. Yeah. Oh, what a sweet boy. And it's the day after Bastille Day. It's France's uh, National Independence Day. So, hmm. you know, what a what a great day for them to world, win the World Cup. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, you're you're a little under the weather. You're a little bit of a sick boy. Uh, yeah, yeah, recovering from a cold this past week. Yeah, well, there it is. This yep. proof of the cold right mm. there. Great audio. Yeah, love. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. That, that sick sniffle right uh, into the mic. Yeah. How much of the World Cup did you watch, Daniel? <laughs> you know, you already know the answer to this. Is it so much? <laughs> uh, it's not. <laughs> well, you know, I'm only prolonging this World Cup news because. The video game news you've scraped together is very uninteresting. So the World Cup is much better. It's been kind of a slow news week, yeah, for sure. So what's the first thing you want to talk about when it comes to video game news? Uh, first thing, there were actually some game announcements these past couple weeks. Those were at Anime Expo. Uh, some smaller video game companies like NIS America and Spike Chunsoft came to Anime Expo and they did some panels and made some announcements about uh, some of their games that are generally like smaller scale games. Uh, These ended up being some games that I'm really excited about. uh, The first of which is Zonkey Zero, the the new game from the Danganronpa team. Right. They announced that that's... They announced a localization uh, a few months back and now they're like, okay, that localization is coming out spring 2019. Did they say what systems? I think it's PS4 and PC. Definitely PS4, I think also PC. Yeah. I'm I'm still really excited about that game, kind of this dungeon crawler where you're you playing... You play as a donkey named Zonkey? <laughs> Zonkey the donkey. That's what I think every time you say the title of this game. No, it's uh, you play as... You, you play as eight characters that represent the seven deadly sins and also original sin. And, and the secret extra sin... Donkey. The extra sin is original sin. Oh, it's uh, not donkey? No, Zonkey the donkey sin. Uh, <laughs> That's what the Z in Zonkey stands for. Basically, uh, you, you're you kind of, you're also all like clones, and you can only live a certain amount of time before you have to regenerate. Uh, very weird, very interesting looking game with some awesome character designs. Still and really looking forward to that. Eddie Murray voices one of the characters. <laughs> Eddie Murphy? 
Oh, I said Eddie Murray. That's yeah. the baseball player. There's an old baseball player called Eddie Murray. <laughs> My brain is still clearly on sports. Shrek, you want to play some baseball? It's a great, great donkey. No donkey. Oh, God. You know, this is really my fault. <laughs> a baseball is like an onion. <laughs> it's layers. So well, that's the, technically true. The next, the next thing that got announced at Anime Expo uh, was the release date for Four Two Eight Shibuya Scramble, a game you've mentioned a couple times on the podcast. Yeah, it was one of my most anticipated games of 2018. Well, anticipate no longer. Yes, it's coming out September fourth, which is good because a couple of my other games on that list have been delayed to 2019. <laughs> so now you're a liar. <laughs> you're retroactively a yeah, liar. Yeah, that's how that works, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this this is coming out in just a couple months, and I'm really pumped for it. It looks still, like, just really hilarious and, and stupid and great. I'm gonna love it. Those are definitely the qualifiers I would look for in a game for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how many donkeys are part of it? <laughs> You're you're really trying to commit to this donkey bit, huh? I've dug in. <laughs> I mean, like I could go back, I guess, but what kind of person would I be? <laughs> it'll be funny if on a long enough timeline, it'll be funny. Sure, it wasn't funny. It's not funny yet. Sure, yeah. But give me about I don't know three years, and it'll be funny. <laughs> That's a long time to commit to this bit. Well, I've committed to bits for longer. You you have. Like this friendship. Ah, you, you <laughs> took the bit right out of my mouth. I was chomping at that bit. Uh, but a brand new game got announced also uh, from Spike Chunsoft. What I've been looking forward to hearing about, it's called I, the Somnium Files, and it's the new game from Kataro Uchikochi, the creator of the Zero Escape games, a franchise, that, yeah, a franchise that I'm really into. Yes, I, you are. I love it a lot. Uh, I, the Somnium Files, is uh, sort of a near-future detective story uh, with kind of a cyberpunk aesthetic. You are a detective. You, you investigating murder mysteries. You have, like, a cybernetic implant in your eye, and you can use that to, like, jump into people's psyches uh, when you interrogate them. You jump into their minds and uh, and sort of have to, like, investigate inside their mindscape it's I guess it's like a Psychonauts visual novel, actually. Um, <laughs> then it gets a devil miss for me. <laughs> <laughs> Referencing Psychonauts and Zero Escape, no thank you. <laughs> Not even if they put a donkey in it when I play that. <laughs> All right. All right. God. Uh, yeah, but I I think I'm I'm really in love with the concept. the The character designs they've shown so far look pretty cool. They do not have a release date for it. I don't think we'll see it for a while. Sure. But it it already has its platforms announced, which is PS4, PC, and Nintendo Switch. Getting in on that Switch, actually. Yeah, actually, at the panel, like he's like, it's releasing for PS4 and PC. Also, all of my fans have asked me about releasing on a specific platform in particular over and over again for the past several months. So I'm proud to announce that it'll be coming to Nintendo Switch. Which fits, because the Zero Escape series was on the DS, so... Yeah, yeah. It's like, not out of left field. Yeah, a lot of Nintendo fans, I think, love Zero Escape. Love Well, only Nintendo fans love Zero Escape, because I don't think it's been on any other platform. Uh, actually, yeah, it's Zero Escape... Uh, first of all, you can get the whole trilogy on the PS4 now. Oh, really? Yeah, but huh. even uh, even back when, like, Virtue's... Uh, the second game in the series released for 3DS and Vita... 
So it started on the DS, but then it migrated to other systems. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, you can get 999 on mobile now. Yeah. You can get a lot of platforms these days. But yeah, those those are really like the Anime Expo announcements. They they announced a surprising amount of video game stuff. There's a Kill Lock Kill game coming out. There's a Tokyo Ghoul game coming out, and those all look like actually surprisingly competently made. <laughs> um, Throwing some shade their way. Like even in Japan, sometimes licensed games sure. can seem kind of phoned in. But uh, but the Kill a Kill game is being made by Arc System Works, who just make like gorgeous looking fighting games, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Kill a Kill game looks gorgeous. It looks just like they made the anime 3D and and just had these characters duke it out. It's cool. Even though I'm I'm not really into Kill a Kill. Uh, <laughs> Sean and Amy love Kill a Kill, but uh, but this isn't their podcast, so yeah. Uh, but I couldn't get past the first episode. A lot of anime booby. Yeah, yeah, yeah too jiggly. Um, yeah, like, it's it's one of those animes where, like, the fan service is supposed to be a satire of fan service, right. but it's also there. <laughs> the problem is, if you don't do satire well, then you're just doing the thing that you were trying to make fun of. The South Park problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. And uh, Kill a Kill sometimes does satirize really well, and sometimes they just seem to be pleasing the audience that they're trying to make fun of. It's a really fine line to walk. Thin, yeah. Not a lot of people should even try that one. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. So those are the games from the Anime Expo. As always, you know, we get some great titles out of Anime Expo, if nothing else. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you never know what a game's going to be called. <laughs> yeah. Some good titles. Oh, yeah, I, I the Somnium Files has, like, a, three different, like, double meanings, too. Like, he really went into it. He's like, oh, yes. Uh, oh, you mean an overwrought story thing from the person who made Zero Dark series? I don't believe you. <laughs> you just called Zero Dark? Well, yeah, I did. <laughs> Zero, Dark. Zero Escape series? Yeah. Oh, it's overwrought. Who would have thought? That's my tagline for Zero Escape. You, you know, you're lucky that, like, I love you and I, I want to be nice to you because, like, I could just recommend that game, that those games. No, I've already played point. Zero Escape. You played, you got, you got, like, one ending in to 999. Well, that doesn't yeah, count. That's one of our official rules for the podcast. <laughs> if you get one ending in any game, you played it. Oh, I see. No, if you recommended that, well, I mean, the good, the really good news for me is that I've got a baby coming soon, so I don't have to worry about any of your bullshit. <laughs> but, but other than that, like, I would just say no. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I don't true. like that game. I don't need to play it anymore. Uh, no, I don't like it. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not okay. sorry. I don't like that game. <laughs> but yeah, one thing we didn't write down, but we hadn't even talked about it. And this doesn't need a lot of time. Right. But uh, I saw that Skullgirls got announced for the Switch. That was also an anime expo. Oh, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> You're a big fan of Skullgirls. I... I there's a lot about the game that I do like. It's it's a really competent, like it's a really well made fighting game with a cool animation style. Just yeah, loving the, art, the art's really good. Yeah, just really lovingly made by that team. Obviously, like it has its issues, but it's it's cool that that game's getting more life and getting more exposure and more people get to play it. Like I probably won't double dip on that one. Oh really? But, yeah, but what I will be getting is the new game by the same developers coming out for the Switch, Indivisible which is sort of this, like, Metroidvania slash turn-based RPG oh, interesting. game that they're making. That's a, and that's a far cry from a fighting game, so... Oh, yeah, except the RPG, like, has fighting game elements where, oh, sure. like, you, you press buttons and time sequences to do combos. Yeah, that game looks amazing, and the character designs are so much, like, better and less fanservice-y than Skullgirls is. 
Um, so they learned. Yeah, they did. They so did. It's good. it's good when a developer can learn. Yeah, the the character designs in Indivisible are actually like really good. I've just been really into like every character I've seen in that game. That's cool. Nice. So uh, you know that little segue aside, the other piece of news we and by we I mean Daniel wanted to cover was stuff about <laughs> uh, Sonic the Hedgehog movie. So I'm just gonna like check out for a minute. We're gonna talk about that. <laughs> So yeah, it it is kind of a slow <laughs> news week, so I thought it might as well be worth mentioning that the Sonic the Hedgehog movie actually started filming this week. It's I I hadn't been following it too closely because I figured there's a lot of video games that get picked up to make movies out of. I feel like video game movies 90% of the time just end up in development hell. Like there's been a Halo movie in talks for like the past decade and a half. A world of Oh yeah, the World of Warcraft movie actually did kind of that, happen that came eventually. Out like last yeah. year, I think. Yeah, like yeah, a year or two ago. But a lot of the time video game time movies just kind of don't really happen, but they've they've gotten their main cast for the Sonic the Hedgehog movie and it's actually started filming, so I guess I guess it exists now. <laughs> I guess well, it's going to actually exist. And the interesting thing about that, compared to what you were just saying with like movies that end up in development hell, mm-hmm. is that Sonic the Hedgehog is in no way relevant right now. Like on in terms of like mainstream media, yeah, not, like, not in the way that Halo is or was when it was in development. Right. Yeah, not nearly as relevant as it used to be. No, for sure. Um, which is just fascinating that like this is the movie that's moving forward. Sonic, which hasn't been super relevant since the nineties. Yeah, it's coming out November fifteenth, twenty nineteen. Tim Miller is producing. He was the director of Deadpool. And it's going to be a live-action CG hybrid. Which is terrifying. Yeah. Uh, The confirmed cast is James Marsden, I think, is like a cop, basically. Oh, he's not Sonic. No, he's he's not (laughs) Sonic. Gotta go handsome. (laughs) Uh, Tika Sumter, who's, I guess, um, I I hadn't heard of her before this. No, I'm not familiar with that name. Um, But, uh... But she seems she she looks cool. I'm sure she'll do great. She's the female lead. That's all we know about her. And Jim Carrey as <laughs> Doctor Robotnik, <laughs> which just means that Doctor Robotnik's going to be one big caricature, isn't he? Yeah. Oh no. Like he. That's that's pretty perfect casting. Actually, that's a very like hearing that really like spiked my interest for the movie. Like hearing that Jim Carrey is Doctor Robotnik because now that movie is either going to be like surprisingly good or just really entertainingly awful. There's I feel like I feel like with Jim Carrey as Dr. Eggman, there's not really going to be much of an in between. It's either going to be like so notably bad. Like ludicrous. Yeah, right. I mean yeah, even past the casting, like that idea of hybrid cgi and live action right i thought yeah i, I thought we left that, that behind in like the the late 90s early 2000s but here we are here again, we are we've learned nothing <laughs> detective pikachu is doing the same thing really that detective pikachu movie like like pikachu's gonna be cg uh and voiced by ryan reynolds what yeah you did <laughs> i guess we didn't cover this thank god <laughs> and uh and like his human sidekick is is live action yeah so that means that, you know, the same man is Deadpool and Pikachu. Yeah. It's a very confusing world to live in. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, Ryan Reynolds had a very fun time on Twitter, actually, when that was announced, because 
he gets to be both of those characters. What a resume. Well, you know, a Pikachu resume. is the Deadpool of the Pokemon world. Everyone, oh, yeah. That's what everyone says. <laughs> Actually, though, I mean, honestly, if there was a Deadpool of the Pokemon world, it would be Meowth. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's pretty I mean, good. It's pretty clear. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Pikachu is like the Cyclops? <laughs> Pikachu is... Hmm. I want you to leave every second of this of this pause in so people know exactly how long you thought about this. <laughs> Pikachu's the Ice Man. He's he's fun. He's he's charming. Uh, the ladies love him. <laughs> Who's the thirstiest Pokemon? Or not Pokemon? Uh, X Men. The thirstiest X Men, like like the the X Men who pines for the ladies the most. Yeah, or the dudes. Right, thirst can run on both sides yeah, of the aisle. That's fair. Probably Gambit, at least. On yeah, the, probably Gambit. Uh, so Gambit's Brock. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Mon ami, Nurse Joy, would you like to look at my onyx? Oh, no. oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Take a peek, and it could be a Steelix. Oh Jesus, <laughs> Remy, no. Oh, energy shot. <laughs> I don't know what accent that was, but it was not Cajun. <laughs> Yeah, terrible. we're we're both very talented on on the accent. <laughs> yeah, uh, very very good at accents. Better at accents than staying on topic on our podcast, though. <laughs> right, so Sonic the Hedgehog. Because oh, we need to talk about this more. <laughs> uh, yeah, but apparently the the movie might just be called Sonic. Why? Single word. <laughs> Who cares? I, I, <laughs> Who cares? We're Great. talking about okay. video game news. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're supposed to be talking about video game news. <laughs> May just be called Sonic. That's not news. Uh, That's gossip. Um, And not even interesting gossip. No, you're There's not a Kardashian to be seen. (laughs) Well, we don't know the full cast of Sonic yet. That's right. Actually, actually, um, fun fact for you, Max, Paul Rudd was actually at one point in talks to be in this movie. Now, that would have had me interested. Yeah, he... He hasn't confirmed, so I don't know if it's fallen through or what. Uh, James Marsden might have the role that he was in talks to play. Um, I love yeah, some Paul Rudd. Yeah, they they were actually talking with Paul Rudd about being in the Sonic movie at some point. Don't know if that'll pan out or not. I love Paul Rudd a lot. You you do. You he really once did do. an interview, and he uh, was he's very self deprecating, at least in interviews. Right. And he referred to himself his body looking like a thumb, and that <laughs> comment has stuck out to me. Yeah. For the years since I heard and or read it. No, this is. I love that. Yeah, this is the first time I've heard the Paul Rudd thumb story from you. So I think that I think <laughs> that's like, just that lens. Yeah. It's such a good way to describe yourself, and such an unexpected way to describe yourself <laughs> if you're a movie star, and like a handsome one. Yeah, you, yeah, a handsome thumb. A handsome, yeah. Well trimmed. Not a green thumb, he's a handsome thumb. <laughs> well, I don't know, that's not true. Paul Rock could be great at gardening, I have no idea. I wouldn't put it past him. That's true, he seems he seems talented in, like, a lot of... And he's good with ants. Oh, right. I'm, I'm like, what? What has Paul Rudd worked with ants? <laughs> You're definitely not making a reference to a million... Multi-million selling movie franchise that he's part of. No, no, definitely not. 
Well, that's the news of the week. Yeah. As you can see, we had a lot of struggles in like how to make that a thing. Yeah. So you're welcome. <laughs> but now the good news is it's over and we'll yeah. talk about something else. Yeah. Uh, next week is Comic-Con, so we'll definitely have more to talk about next time. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly what happened at Comic-Con. Wink. Apparently something sexy happened at Comic-Con. <laughs> So that was the news, as it is. I mean, you know, news with quotations around it. <laughs> and uh, now let's talk about, in addition to Hollow Knight, what else we've been up to the last couple weeks. Uh, Daniel, I think as is tradition, why don't you start? Sure. Amy and I played through Life is Strange Before the Storm. What did you think of it? Uh, you know, so Before the Storm is a prequel to Life is Strange, and it was made... Uh, it was made by a different team than Don't Not Entertainment, the guys that made Life is Strange. Right, because Don't Not was busy making Vampire, a much larger game than Life is Strange. Yeah, uh, Vampire and they were working on Life is Strange 2 as well, and they didn't want to be distracted by this prequel project. But um, you kind of can't tell. It's, oh, really? Yeah, like, the <laughs> so sometimes you can tell a little bit, because occasionally you'll just see character animation that is particularly jank oh yeah like there's there's a couple sequences where like chloe will uh try to like turn around and she'll she'll do it like like a character model is being moved you know <laughs> and and not like the way a person would turn 180 degrees other than that i was really surprised by the quality of before the storm actually i would say that i actually liked it like about as much as I liked the original Life is Strange. Oh wow! Yeah, how um, long is it? Each episode is probably about three hours, so okay. it's a three-episode game with a bonus episode that's like an hour or an hour and a half long. So you know, like ten, 10 hours. hours yeah. yeah, and and yeah, it's 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 pretty good. Like basically, you play as Max's friend Chloe during the time period that Max is in Seattle, right? During the period right. that that they are apart so you sort of you sort of get to see the phase of Chloe's life where she befriends Rachel Amber and sort of has a lot of the developments that are just that are just referenced in in the first game in passing when Chloe kind of talks about how Max not being around ruined her life right uh the story doesn't have any supernatural stuff like the first life of strange does it's much like lower uh lower stakes for sure but it tells a it tells a pretty cool low stake story. And one thing uh, one thing I thought was pretty interesting is that during this time in her life, Chloe is canonically an insufferable teen. Right, right. She's she's just being kind of, like this is when life goes kind of off the rails for her, and she's just like it's established that she's been kind of an awful person while Max was gone. But you still get a lot of choice in this game. So, like, while you are an insufferable teen, you kind of get to decide how you get to be an insufferable teen. <laughs> oh, good. So, if Because if, for us, our teenage years are every year further and further in the rearview mirror. Right. So, it's nice to be able to go back and be a dick again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, for example, like, you know, there's there's a lot of conflict with your, uh, with Chloe's stepfather, uh, David, right? 
who at this point in the game has just started dating Joyce and he's about to move in. They haven't gotten married yet. And you can choose to be really aggressive and antagonistic toward David, right? Or you can just be passive aggressive and standoffish towards David <laughs> instead. So like he, you guys are at odds with each other either way, but like it's, but the, the type of tension is different. Like they, they managed to actually make it feel like what you do has an impact on what happens while still sort of adhering to the canon, right? That's cool. It's it's really impressive, like, how they were able to tread that line. And one thing I love about the game, though, is that it just... It it actually, like, has some standalone moments in it that are, like, highs of the franchise so far for me. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, there, uh, there is a sequence in the first chapter of the game where Chloe just gets to you have the option to just play a session of a Dungeons and Dragons game as Chloe with a couple of the nerdy students. And you can like name your character and like, that's a cute touch. And, and make a bunch of choices as them. You can choose your class. Um, no, you, the, the GM gives you a pre-rolled character, oh, okay. a barbarian who I named Calamastia in my run. I decided to, I decided that Chloe would really get into this, right? Sure. That she'd, like Chloe can either like sort of like half ass it. She's you can, she can be like, oh, I'm uh I'm Jeff the Barbarian, you know, but uh but instead I I had her be Calamassi and get like really into it and her like that that was a lot of that was that was a lot of fun. Like the the writing of that sequence made it very clear that that whoever wrote that sequence was into D and D, right? Right. And then there's another <laughs> there's another sequence in the next chapter. Uh, where you participate in a production of The Tempest. And I I feel like I should give some backstory on us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mac, like Max and I, when we were in high school, A, we were both like really into D&D. We, we both Although loved... in separate groups. Yeah, in, in separate groups. Right. Yeah, but yeah, we were both really into tabletop role-playing and play a lot of it. And we were both in the theater uh, program at our school. Our senior year... We were in a production of The Tempest together. Max was the lead, Prospero, and I was uh I was Trinculo, the the jester. And that that was probably my favorite play that we were in. Yeah, you as Trinculo was like some of the best high school shit of all time at that theater. <laughs> it was amazing. And if we can dredge up the photo of you in the pants, I think oh, we should put, I think God. we should tweet it. Just put that on the Twitter. I think yeah, we should sure. if we could find it. Yeah, There's an sure. amazing photo. So Daniel had these <laughs> pants that they had to wear for the show that we call the pumpkin pants. Um because like they were short pants. Yes. They're really shorts. Yeah. Uh, and like they ballooned out at the mid thigh level. Yeah. It's like little pump they looked like little pumpkins on his thighs, yeah. although the, the pants were blue. Yeah. And uh, there's just a great photo of him smiling coyly in a seductive pose, wearing his pumpkin pants. You, you thought that was seductive? Yeah, you're kinda like you know, you're kinda like coyly like showing your bottom to the camera from the <laughs> side a little bit. If I remember correctly, and I do remember that photo pretty well. You you sure do. I had it on my phone for a while. I don't know if I still do. Well, um, if we can find it, we'll, we'll tweet it. Yeah, all right, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, What's the point in having shame now? We didn't have it then. <laughs> That's a good point. The, the costume in that show was amazing because of your yeah. pants. Yes. But I think my other favorite thing about that show was um, as Prospero, you know, spent a lot of time on stage. Right. And my outfit for the show, the entire show, was a silk robe yes. and silk pajamas. That's I was right. never more comfortable in my life. Than, uh. Like the two and a half hours I was just walking around on stage oh, wearing yeah. all silk. It was so comfortable. Yeah, that was that was so chill. It was actually pretty comfortable for me too. Like uh, uh, Trinculo was a drunk. 
there's actually like several scenes where Trinculo is just being rolled around in a yeah. barrel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, our stage manager had a cushion uh, just like installed inside the barrel. So I just got to like sort of just sit just and chill. yeah, deliver my lines. I think the rest of your costume too was pretty comfy if I remember because I think it was no shirt vest. Uh, yep, yep. I was I was wearing like an like an open buttoned vest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and like a like a little like bowler hat almost. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. quite a bowler, but it was like yeah. a little hat. Yeah, it was like a little hat. Yeah, you got to find that photo. Yeah, true. So like usually like when you're on stage, it's hot up there. Like lights are getting shown on you, and you're just like sweating. So I just like got to be like borderline shirtless up there, <laughs> just feeling that with, breeze with some some high cut shorts. Yeah, like your legs are breathing, your chest was breathing. Yeah. You're having a good day. Yeah, no no wonder that was the best production <laughs> I've ever been in. Yeah. Man, uh, what a yeah, great show. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And bef- so before the storm, when Amy and I played through it, it was like, oh my god, this is the Daniel game. Like, <laughs> I first D&D and then the Tempest. Like, right. the Tempest specifically. Right. And yeah, like, those those two sequences are just so well done. Like, again, like, the whole production of the Tempest, like, like you can tell that there are some theater kids in that writing staff. Like, the the theater teacher is just like spot on over the top and like really over dramatic and just like living and breathing this play that he's doing you know with his overwrought vocabulary and his mm-hmm. his just one of the kids calls in uh and can't make it to the performance and the drama teacher is just like beside himself <laughs> like like a great tragedy has happened it, it god it made me so nostalgic yeah, like it sounds yeah. like it, yeah. oh man yeah, I genuinely loved these moments, not not just for the nostalgia they instilled, but just for like how surprisingly well written this whole game still was. It has those cool quiet moments that we've talked about. Yeah. That we really enjoyed in The First Life is Strange. There's a sequence in uh in another episode where Chloe she fixes up a truck in the junkyard, uh that, you know, ends up ends up being her truck. Ends up being her truck. And uh and you just you go through like each aspect of the car and see what's wrong with it and like, f- and f- find ways to fix it up. And it like, it was just such a, I don't know that it, it was almost like a therapeutic scene, you know, just, <laughs> yeah. just uh, satisfying. Yeah. Some of the story beats themselves didn't always land. Like the, the ending felt kind of rushed. It's like, it kind of just like ended really like there wasn't really like a, a really final feeling to it. It's sure. just like it's like okay, this is where this is where we're gonna stop talking about Chloe's childhood, you know. But I really dug it. It was surprisingly good. I would I would recommend it. I'd I'd say like if if you liked Life is Strange, if you wanna if you wanna experience more of that universe, then Before the Storm worth it hands down. Especially the bonus episode, uh, you play as Max again. It's it's the day that Max leaves for Seattle, um. So it's it's uh it's Max and Chloe's like last day that they spend together, and like you're you're them at like age like fourteen, just sort of saying goodbye. And that that episode was just really good on its own too. Uh, e- there wasn't even much choice, but it was just a good story. Cool. Yeah. Really good game. I liked it a lot. More than I was expecting, for sure. Yeah, it I, sounds like it. Yeah, like you're I, taken a little bit by surprise by how much you liked it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I thought it'd just be like, okay, this is going to be kind of a cash-in, and it's going to just feel a bit phoned in. Yeah. And uh, it really wasn't. It was good. Yeah. Nice. You, If you were bored and wanted to play more Life is Strange stuff, I'd definitely check that out. 
Uh, we're we're gonna do Captain Spirit next, since that's uh that that's apparently like sort of this bridge game between Life is Strange one and two, that secretly tells you what Life is Strange two is gonna be about <laughs> if you like look in every single corner or something. Oh boy, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes. So maybe next episode I'll be talking about that. Sure. Yeah, you're you're diving into the franchise head first. Yeah, it's it's funny. We like life is like the first Life is Strange has been out since 2013. And we didn't play it until the podcast, and now I'm just really into that franchise, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I might check out um, this game eventually, but probably not in the immediate future. That's fair. Or maybe down the road. Yeah, cool. I'm so, not going to be playing many games in the immediate future, so that's that's <laughs> fair. Yeah, um, but what have you been up to recently? Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of video games, one thing that like I think I kind of knew already, and, we, and I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, but yeah. like I'm definitely learning even more from doing this podcast. Is I I have a hard time jumping back and forth between games. Yeah, like I I if I lose momentum, and this is true with anything like books, um, as well or TV shows. If I lose momentum, it's hard for me to jump back into it. I need to keep that momentum up. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, I tried the Octopath Traveler demo, the new one, right. at your behest. Yeah. Um, I I did the Merchant as well. Tressa. And like I got a little bit into it. Um, the story starts very slowly. It does. And I still don't think the combat's very interesting in that game. Right. Um, and so I was like playing it and I'm like, well, I could be slogging through this. Or I could just go play Hollow Knight, which is very fun and exciting. <laughs> right. And like, I don't need a slog or anything because I'm already like halfway through that game. So I'm just going to go back and play Hollow Knight. Right. Which isn't to say that I won't come back to the Octopath demo. Right. Um, but uh, this is just, just isn't the right time for you to be playing. No. Octopath right. Probably. Like it wasn't the right counter yeah. to playing Hollow Knight. I needed something that was also exciting. Yeah, uh, I see. That didn't make me like, oh man, I wish I was just, you know, running across a ledge or whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> I still, I'm still not convinced on Octopath Traveler. Just from what I've seen, I, I, I just feel like it's a really slow game, and and I know I haven't seen very much of it yet, and I'm yeah. sure it opens up. Yeah. But like, I just don't love the idea behind the combat. Right. Which isn't to say that I think it's bad. I don't. I just don't know that it's for me. Yeah. I don't know that I, I, I find it interesting inherently. Yeah. Um, which is hard to see how that could develop enough. Yeah. That, again, it's not to say that it couldn't, but right. it's hard to see how it could. Yeah, I I think that's fair, and it definitely does have a slow start. But I love that game. It's 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 really good. I actually kind of had the opposite problem as you, where I was playing through Hollow Knight trying to get to the end, uh, to the best of my ability, uh, and then on Friday, uh, Octopath Traveler unlocks in my Switch, and I just had to use so much willpower to not just play <laughs> that instead well, of beating Hollow Knight. Because there's also with that there's also Cult of the New. It's like when you've got a new game that you're excited about that just came out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's not, that, that happens to everyone. I think like yeah. that, that idea of like, Oh man, you know, this is fun because you were having a good time with it. Oh Hall yeah. Night. Yes. Yes. But this thing, it could be anything. Yeah. Like, you know what Hollow Knight is at this point, but Octopath Traveler, you haven't played it yet. So it could be anything and it just unlocked and you pre-ordered it. And yeah. like that mentality is really tricky, I think. And yeah. like you see in video games, you see it in the board game community a lot. Hmm. Um, or cult of the new can just really take over and like yeah. you buy a game and you don't even play it and you buy the next game. Right. Yeah. Um, oh man. I, I did get like, <laughs> I, I did get like wrapped up in, into that for like a couple months with board games too. Like yeah. there was just a stretch where I just kickstarted like 
five different board games in a row, right? Because like, ooh, this this thing looks cool. Oh, this thing looks cool too. And then and like and they're just finally like pr- finishing production now. So like every week for the past month, I've been oh, getting geez. a new board game that I don't really need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm done with Kickstarter. Uh, like it's just I don't think it is super great for consumers. It's uh, on any level, really. It's not built for consumers. I just like I don't know about it anymore. That's yeah, that that's fair. I think I think it depends on the thing that you're backing. Well, no, I disagree. Like there can be positive and negative outcomes with Kickstarter. Right. But I think agnostically when you look at it as a platform, it's not inherently built for consumers. No, you're I right. I don't think there's any yeah. benefit to kickstarting anything anymore. You're right. <laughs> you're right. It, unless unless uh developers or, or designers do the bullshit thing where they make it a Kickstarter exclusive. In which case, then you're forced to use Kickstarter as the purchasing platform. Right. That only works if we give Kickstarter power as purchasers. Yeah. So, like, that's not inherent. Like, I, I just don't think. I think I'm done with Kickstarter. No, is the point. Yeah. I think. I think that's valid. I think. I think that makes a lot of sense. No, I guess we can talk about Hollow Knight now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Hollow Knight, um, Hollow Knight uh, was a game recommended to us by Actual Superboy on Twitter. Yes, thank you, Actual Superboy on Twitter. And as you may remember, uh, folks out there listening to this podcast, Hollow Knight, we did a uh, listener recommendation episode a couple of episodes ago, and we were originally going to play Hollow Knight coming out of that episode, but it wasn't out on Switch yet, which is we thought it would be, and then it wasn't. Yeah. And so we decided to play Psychonauts instead. And then during the time it took us to beat Psychonauts, which was a considerable amount of time, uh, Hollow Knight came out on Switch. So we figured we would do everyone a solid since we said we would play this game. We wanted yeah. to play this game. Right. Uh, and then we did play this game. This game is called Hollow Knight, and we played it. Yeah. Yeah. And really, we did ourselves a solid by playing yeah, it. Yeah, we really yeah. did. And playing it after Psychonauts. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. If I played Hollow Knight then Psychonauts, I don't know if I ever could have gotten more than an hour into Psychonauts. <laughs> oh, yeah. For like, two games that share very little yeah, at all, it's no, really easy to compare them. Yeah, like I... Yeah, like I feel like my experience with Hollow Knight like, was really informed by yeah. my experience with Psychonauts. You know, like it's like... There, there's just so many moments in Hollow Knight where I was like, oh, man, this is what Psychonauts should have done. And, yeah, you know, like, it's it, they're such different games, but I, I found myself saying that to myself so much. I think there's a minute, like, a moment, like, five minutes into playing Hollow Knight where I, like, texted you. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what I said, but it's something along the lines of, right. well, this is different. Yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, just controlling the character felt so much better. And, like, obviously, like, let's take a step back and be fair. Yeah. Like, we're talking about a game that came out 13 years after the other game we're talking about. Completely right. different system, completely different development team. Yeah. But still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way the character controls in Hollow Knight is so much more satisfying. Yeah, like we, we talked about how in Psychonauts, um, your, uh, your, character, uh, your character movement and your controls weren't always consistent. You would do something 10 times and expect it to happen the same way each time, but it would not. And a lot of deaths, a lot of a lot of failures that happen in Psychonauts are the game's fault and not yes. yours. In yes. in Hollow Knight, 
every time you die in Hollow Knight, it's your fault. Except for the one or two times my Joy-Con didn't do what I thought it would. Yeah. That's not Hollow Knight's fault either. That's the Joy-Con's fault. <laughs> but no, like the vast majority, the overwhelming majority, 99.999% of the times I died. Yeah. It was exactly because of my fault. I knew exactly what I needed to do. I yeah. knew how I could beat that boss. Yeah. I just needed to do it and be better. Yes, exactly. And that is such a more satisfying way to play a game. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So just to have a, a little bit of a spoiler-free overview of Psycho of Psychonauts, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> a spoiler-free overview of Hollow Knight. Uh, Hollow Knight is a game, um, it's a Metroidvania game. I think mm. when we were first talking about playing it those uh, episodes ago, I maybe said it had roguelite elements. It doesn't. I was less familiar with the game at the time. It's pretty much an up-and-down Metroidvania, I would say. Um, yeah, it's definitely a Metroidvania, but it definitely has several influences from Dark Souls. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is heavily influenced by Dark Souls, absolutely. It brings some of those Dark Soul mechanics into the Metroidvania yes. uh, ecosystem, if you will. Yes. Who is Hollow Knight developed by? Uh, Team Cherry. Yes. Yeah, that's it. It's off the top of my head. Team Cherry. And it originally came out a couple years ago, uh, and it is now out on Switch, which is how Daniel and I both played it. Mm -hmm. And I would say overall, it's a really satisfying experience to play it on the Switch. Like, Yeah, it's a good port. I hadn't... I don't have, you know, I'll be transparent at the top of this to say I don't have a lot of Metroidvania experience to begin with. Right. Um, but when I think about Nintendo systems uh, in modern day, I don't necessarily think about yeah. them being like the fine control system. Like, you know, right. that you're going to, you know, play a game that, that necessitates a lot of quick decisions and like right. reflexes. Uh, maybe that's my prejudice against Nintendo. And, you know, certainly games like Celeste have come out in recent memory to push that. Sure. But this game controls super well on the Switch, I would say. And uh, it's really satisfying to play. I myself have played a lot of Metroidvanias, both Metroid and Vania. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I actually agree that sometimes there are aspects of this game that are more satisfying than both, you know? That, yeah. That, like, is really, just really exceptionally well done, this game, uh, both in terms of, like, its controls and the exploration uh, is... Just oh my God. the the ex the exploration in this game is so impressive, so like so organic, so like so intuitive and and open and inviting. You know that like I I am surprised that Nintendo didn't supervise development of this <laughs> game because it's it's exceptional. It's it's incredible. Yeah, I want to talk about the exploration more when we get into the uh, the spoilery territory because yeah. there's a lot of things I want to say about exploration in this game but uh on a high level i completely agree with you it's such a fun game to explore yeah uh so just a little bit of basic information about the game right. uh, in hollow knight you play as this adorable little bug right uh who doesn't have a name no um and uh, he's so cute and i i played this game entirely handheld my cool. my entire time playing it i probably should have played with the pro controller more right. i probably would have had a little bit of an easier time right but i'm stubborn and i played handheld the whole time and every now and then stephanie would like look over and be like oh it's so cute <laughs> like she <laughs> felt like it was such a cute game right um and the character design for the for the for the character is adorable yeah so you're this little bug and you come to this town and it's kind of an empty town now. Yeah. And underneath it is the um, the relics of a once great civilization of bugs. Yeah. And so throughout the game, you are exploring this civilization. And it's many branching paths. It's many different areas. 
and you're fighting the the um the bugs that are there now and you're discovering little snippets of story about what the area was when it was yeah and um you're unlocking different abilities as you progress and it's really just a game in that metroidvania style of unlocking areas finding new equipment yeah. and uh collecting collectibles yeah yeah it's it's funny like it it definitely sort of adheres to the metroidvania formula sometimes like borderline religiously yeah but it's it manages to feel like a completely new experience at the same time absolutely yeah it feels almost like a game in its own genre yeah um Um, and maybe that's because i have less experience with not just metroidvanias of of old like metroidvania but like that there's been a lot of metroidvanias in the last couple of years especially on pc it's been a pretty booming genre Mm. um but I can't think of another one that I've even seen that plays exactly like Hollow Knight. Oh, no, definitely. Because, like, unlike Metroid, unlike Castlevania, it has such, like, precise platforming uh, and combat. I've never had to put so much focus on where I am and how I time my jumps yeah. and and my hits as I have in Hollow Knight with this genre. Like, it almost reminds me of games like uh, like Meat Boy, you know, yeah. with, with, like, sort of its platforming precision but it puts it in this kind of game and it, it does it really well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Super Meat Boy meets Dark Souls meets Metroid meets <laughs> Castlevania. <laughs> yeah. And that is also its own thing. Yeah. It's... Um, and it's really a gorgeous game. Also, that should be said at the top. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Uh, the presentation is incredible. We'll talk about more when we get when we get more into it. But yeah. it's just a really gorgeous game. It really is. I think one thing that really like makes the identity of of Hollow Knight so unique actually is sort of it's Dark Souls influence on top, like just sort of blanketing this genre, you know, like so much of what I love about Hollow Knight is like, you know, I've never, I've never actually played a Dark Souls game, but so much of what I love about Hollow Knight is the stuff that people keep telling me is great about Dark Souls. (laughs) Like the challenge and the learning from your mistakes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the, the fact like the game is like, it's punishingly hard, but it's, it's the kind of hard that is always overcomable with yeah. with with practice and and fixing your mistakes the the way that the lore of the game is like very subtle and spread out but you can like if if you really poke your head in every like in the every corner and really pay attention to a lot of things you you can really discover a huge deep uh very intricate story you know right. but also you can just poke a thousand bugs with your sword and <laughs> never like never know anything about the the backstory of the universe and right. that's also fine right i think another point uh in that case is that the game is massive yeah like i just last night i beat the first end boss of the game there's right. another true boss after that right right and i did that at the 35 hour mark and uh when you beat when you get to the point where you can beat the boss, the game tells you how much of the game you've completed. Yes. And I was at seventy nine percent. Yeah. So I completed seventy nine percent of the game in thirty five hours. Now, I mean, some of that's because I'm not good. And so like <laughs> many of those hours are me dying against the same boss over and over again. Right. But the point still stands that there's so much content to mine in this game. I mean, especially because the Switch version comes with all the DLC. Yes. And there's been a fair amount of DLC. Yeah, yeah. There's DLC I still haven't even seen at the thirty five hour mark. Same. Um but that point of like, as a player, there's a linear path you can follow if you want yeah. and beat the game and probably be at like, I don't know, 60, 65% completion. I, I was at about 64%. Yeah. When, and you, you're, you're at boop, name a final boss, boop, boop, boop. Now. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
and I, you could probably even do it a little bit more linear, linearly than you did it even. Yeah. Um, but the point being that like, there's so much option for the player and how much you want to dive into this universe. Yeah. How much you want to get out of it. And the game never shames you also for like not being a hundred percent completionist. Yeah. Like I like that it tells you, I think that's a really, really nice tech like mechanic. Yeah. Yeah. To at the, you know, quote unquote final boss fight. Right. Uh, tell you how much of the game you've unlocked. So you don't have to wonder. Yeah. Is a really, really smart inclusion. But at the same time, they don't do it in a way like, you know, you, you, if you don't go back now, you'll never be able to complete the rest of the game. You right. can still go back and complete it later. Yeah. Um, I, I love that about, about Hollow Knight. Yeah. No, it's, it's it's great. It's really cool. So we started getting into spoilers a little bit. So why don't we move <laughs> completely into the spoiler conversation? Right. Um, our last spoiler-free impressions are Hollow Knight. For me, Hollow Knight's a wonderful game. Yeah. I don't need to say any more than that. It's it's great. No, like same. I God, I I figured that I'd like Hollow Knight, uh, but I love Hollow Knight. It's it's just a, a an incredibly well-made game. Just expertly crafted i can't believe this is team cherry's first video game it's amazing uh and man and another another data point to compare it to psychonauts (laughs) (laughs) it really should be like on on like a master list of things to look at when you're trying to implement good game design yeah Yeah, and the game is also just fun it's just a good game yeah yeah i would say that like Hollow Knight is on that list of games that if you're a gamer, you have to play it Hmm. because it's, it, it's not to say that I think everyone would love it. I don't think that's true. Right. But I do think it's one of those games that exists in this conversation of this is different. It's so well done doing something a little bit different and combining all these other influences. And like, let's also say Daniel and I don't know everything about video games. There might be other games out there like Hollow Knight. We're not saying that this is the only game of its kind out there. I'm sure there are other games that have been doing what Hollow Knight has done in similar ways. We just don't know about it. Right. But Hollow Knight does everything so well. The presentation is so beautiful. Yeah. Um, You get incredible bang for your buck. Yeah. Especially if you get on Switch with all the DLC, like incredible bang for your buck. I think this is a game that if you love video games, if you're the kind of person who listens to this podcast, let's be honest, you love video games enough that you should have played or you should be playing Hollow Knight. Absolutely. Yeah. Is my opinion. It's definitely one of the best indie games that I've ever played. Like for sure. And I think it's an experience worth having. Absolutely. Yeah. So now let's move to a, a, just the slightly more in-depth conversation about Hollow Knight, which I will preface to say that there's not a lot to spoil in terms of plot with this game. Yeah. Um, as Daniel pointed out, like you can take in as much or as little of the plot as you decide yeah. and dig for. Um, but there is a lot to spoil in terms of bosses and fights and areas and things like that. So yeah. if you are heeding my advice and you haven't played Hollow Knight yet and now you're going to, um, now might be a good time to to maybe fast forward a little bit or spoil yourself, whatever you prefer. Yeah. Getting the story spoiled for you is not a huge deal, I don't think. I agree. Um, but so much of the selling point of this game is kind of the wonder of discovery. Yeah. You know, like just seeing these things for the first time, seeing them surprise you, and the the world just throws a lot of unexpected things at you. If you get to have those things smack you in the face with like no previous knowledge, um. I was a big fan of that experience for Absolutely. myself. I agree. And I think I mentioned when we uh, talked about playing this game the first time um, that I had started watching a Let's Play of Hollow Knight like a year or so ago. Right. And after like the first episode, I stopped because I was like, I may not ever play this game, but if I do, this definitely is the kind of game that you want to go in blind on. Yeah. Uh, the more that gets spoiled, the more that you see of it before you play it. Right. The um, 
exploration is so key in this game. Yes. And losing that sense of exploration, for me at least, um, would have made it a lot less exciting. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely fair. So with that caveat out of the way, with that prefaced, mm-hmm. um, let's dive in. You started talking about story a little bit, and I'll be honest and say that the story feels a little bit. I'm not. I don't feel like I fully understand the story. Right. Um, I did find a lot of the little like hidden story bits and and dialogue. The way yeah. it's written is a little obtuse for me, and I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. Right. I just feel like I had a harder time connecting to it, which again I don't think is a strike against the game. Right. But I mean, maybe do you want to take a stab at, at what you've got of the story? Because <laughs> yeah, I feel like, like you've got a better handle on it than me. No, no. A lot of it is very vague, and I I think a lot of it is intentionally so. But one thing, uh, one thing I kind of dug. So you know, like the setting of Hollow Nest um, has a lot of a lot of history behind it. It has a lot of tales of of warriors from its past, and and like you know, tales tales of a king that's long dead, and like and even like some mentions of like gods and stuff. One major thing that happens is that you get introduced to the concept of the dreamers, like about two thirds into the game, uh, maybe about like halfway. Depends on when you find it. Yeah. And basically, when when you find these things called the Dreamers, you get the thing called the Dream Nail that lets you, uh, that lets, when you hit people with a Dream Nail, you can read people's thoughts. And, uh, and sometimes you can jump into their consciousnesses and sort of fight like their dreams. A lot of the people, when you hit them with the Dream Nail and you read their thoughts, their thoughts are not infrequently along the lines of it's like, oh, this this thing doesn't know what he is you know like it's like like it's like oh this one is here stay calm you know like and there's there just seems like to be a lot of implication that your character is very important your character is like the reincarnation of like a long gone warrior or maybe even you're you're sort of a minor deity or you might be like a dead god you know like it's i i never really got quite what they were fully hinting at but the the mystery behind what you are is very cool and very interesting. Other than an adorable little bug man. Yeah, and that's you are an adorable little <laughs> bug man, that's for sure. Uh so the narrative is is I would say like an add-on to the game. It's not oh, the yeah. main purpose of the game. Correct. But it helps build out the world, helps make the game feel more full. Yeah. Um and and just to echo the point, like I, I do like in agreeing with what you said, I like the way that they dole out the information that sometimes story stuff is like hidden behind a false wall or like yeah. you've got to come back to an area that you were in before, but now you've got a power that lets you get to a new space. And then all you find behind it was like a little tablet. Yeah. Um, I think that's really cool that like the game treats story as a collectible almost Yeah. Uh, in the same way it treats like the crests and the various other things that you can get that make you better. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I think that's cool. Never really played through a story like that but i've never played through dark souls that's, <laughs> right that, that's apparently how they do things and that's that's kind of neat yeah, yeah i think we're both ill-equipped for that comparison because neither of us have played dark souls and don't really have much interest in in playing it although maybe now it's changed after playing hollow knight who knows yeah um, like i said on this podcast before i've thought about picking up dark souls remasters right. uh, remastered when it comes out for the switch and uh this this has definitely increased my interest in doing that i don't know if i'm going to bite the bullet on right. that just yet but but I see the appeal now more than I did. I think what I've learned from playing Hollow Knight is if I'm going to play a Dark Souls game, it needs to have an adorable little bug man. <laughs> that, that is definitely a selling point. I will yeah. say that like Hollow Knight's aesthetic is so much more my thing than exactly. Dark Souls in general. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so I'm, I don't know that there's too much more to say about the narrative. Um, the, the kind of tie to, to all that, that we've both seen now for, for, um, the, the protagonist's story is when you beat Hollow Knight, the boss, the first boss, as I mentioned, there's yeah. a true boss apparently that I haven't seen yet. Same. Um, there's a little cinematic that plays afterwards and essentially you just take his place bound in chains yeah, in this you, like chamber. Yeah. You become so the Hollow Knight. You become Knight. the Hollow Knight. That's, that's what the game was hinting at. And like, that's yeah. a, that's a cool full circle for the game. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. That's a neat ending, you know, obviously kind of kind of ominous and and sad, but but very cool. And yeah, I I was into that. It should probably be worth like saying explicitly that I did not beat the game, right. but I got really close. You I, got uh, you got to the point of fighting the first final boss. Yeah, exactly. I, so you I have was enough yeah. experience in your belt. Yeah, I I was fighting the Hollow Knight uh, over and over and I got like I basically got to like the two thirds point of like of his patterns, and then Max came over and watched me die to him like three times, and then we were like, "Okay, let's record." Yeah, I think what happened, which is you know not to be not to be a surprise for for trying to finish a game before a podcast, right. was at a certain point you just started committing to finishing the linear story. Yes, but you didn't get necessarily the tools you might have needed to make that fight easier oh yeah exactly. like you're missing i would say one or two things that i think would make that fight a lot easier for you yes um for instance there's a dash uh you get later in the game that gives you it gives you two things one it gives you a little bit of invulnerability when you do the dash yeah so you can dash through enemies you can dash through attacks which is extraordinarily useful for late game bosses who are very hard um, but also there are little mist gates yeah. Um, that block off certain areas in the game that uh, right that you can that dash through you can yeah. dash through those so like you get exploration out of it and you also get combat ability out of it yeah and there are a handful of late game bosses that i could not have beaten without that dash yeah. and like the fact that you got as far as you did on all night without it uh is pretty impressive because like like i said <laughs> like and you know there are obvious also let's say that there are speed runs of this game of people beating it with like very few tools right. and it's being very good at video games so, like right. none of these things and that's the other great thing about Hollow Knight is none of these things are necessary everything you collect just makes your job easier yes uh, but the game is completely beatable with what you start out with if you're very good right I mean other than the exploration stuff obviously I just right. mean in terms of combat oh yeah 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 so and in the plot discussion also I think uh, tangential to that is the characters yeah and the world of hollow knight is populated with amazing characters it really is i yeah. love the characters in this game so much me too oh man what a good what a good cast what a good like supporting cast of like just all these weird bug people man. they're all based off of different bugs in such cool ways yes i think one of uh i have a handful of like really favorite characters that that inhabit the world but one of my favorites is cloth um, who's like a cicada that carries a big bashing stick. Okay. And you find cloth the first couple of times and cloth is kind of like cowardly and like you're saving them. And, and every time they're like, Oh, you know, you're so brave and I, I want to be more like you. Oh, and I'm going to get spoilery here, but, um, if you encounter cloth enough times and inspire them when you fight, um, uh, an optional boss at the end called not the end, but a late, an optional late game boss, called the traitor lord yeah. um cloth shows up and helps you fight that boss oh my god and then dies oh no um, and there's no way to save cloth in that fight oh, like no. if cloth shows up they die right but then they're like they're so grateful that you help them get over their cowardice <laughs> and like this is the way they wanted to die and it's like such an amazing beautiful moment and cloth is like such a cute character Holy i love crap. that character oh man and that arc is amazing like 
I love that about Hollow Knight that that you encounter these same characters multiple times, right? And depending on how you encounter them, when and like what you do, right? Uh, you have different branching paths with them, yeah. Um, which is just a great little thing. Again, we're talking about a game that like is the studio's first game, right? Is that true? Uh, yes, yeah. Team and Jerry's like, there's so game. many things that you would expect from a more established, more polished development team yeah. that like are such great little things that in game design really add up. And one yeah. of those things is having all of these amazing interactions. Yeah. Oh, oh man, that's a really cool arc. Yeah. It's yeah. a great arc. Uh, do you have any particular favorite characters? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Hornet's really cool. Hornet is great. Yeah. I really love her design. She's, uh, she's sort of like this mysterious, like warrior who you sort of like follow around for, for big chunks of the game. Who who treats you like an enemy at first, and then she decides that you're more benign, and and you know, like she's she's actually kind of one of the characters driving the linear story. She's like testing you almost. Yes, yeah, but she's really cool. Just just a just a badass bug girl. Like her a lot. There's a couple of uh of just like really small, really silly characters. Like there's the uh there's this one like really like like chubby like shopkeep character i i forget their name but like but like as you push their shop you can kind of hear them like laughing like in their shop they're like oh, 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 oh. oh you're talking about the map seller and like the guy who sells maps oh no you're talking sorry yes i know you're talking about you're talking about the the charm maker yes the charm yeah. maker yeah <laughs> the, the charm maker like and and then like you you walk in and they're still giggling to themselves and then like you go to once you decide to shop with them, they just like look at you and like like sort of like steep like steeple their hands and go like ooh, ooh, ooh like you the know. sound design in this game is amazing. Oh, the sound design is phenomenal. Uh, spe- <laughs> and the- <laughs> speaking of which, probably one of my just my favorite incidental characters is one of the sort of recurring side quests in the game. Is that there are these little like green caterpillar things called the yeah. grubs, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like trapped in these jars throughout the universe that you can like break the jars and like set them free. And uh, it doesn't have any narrative impact. It's just like a little bonus thing that you can. Yeah, do. and they're they're so cute. Their design is so adorable. And when you set them free, like you you can sort of hear them. You can sort of hear them crying like as you get nearby them. And then uh and then when you get near them, they get they get like yeah. excited like. Rrr! And then you like break the jar, and they're like, like you know, they they make like little thankful noises, and then burrow into the ground. Eventually, you find a uh, you find kind of their lair. You find kind of the place where all the grubs go, and uh, and their dad is there, and he's just like this big like purple version of the grub with like a little tiny mustache. And when you show up, uh, if you've saved any grubs who you can see in the setting, like you can see in this location. Uh, like he'll be happy to see you because you've saved his children, and he'll be like, "Oh, hey, whoa, whoa, hey!" Like, <laughs> like that, those are the like. Th- that's pretty much all he does. He just like, "Ho, ho, ho!" Like he he just makes like those cute little noises and then throws money at you, like or sometimes special items. Yeah, or sometimes special items. But yeah, he just throws gifts at you whenever you save his yeah. kids, and always makes like a same like, "Oh, ho, ho!" Like just uh. Just really doofy, happy noises, and uh, it like 
it grows my heart three yeah. sizes every time I see like that bit, that little thing that happens. It's like saving those grubs is already satisfying enough because it's usually you have to do a bit of platforming or you have to like find a special area or beat a hard character. Yeah. So it's already satisfying to rescue them. Yeah. But then it's the the satis- satisfaction has grown by like seeing their interactions once you get back to their little home. <laughs> yes. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, because initially that room is just, like, filled with, like, a bunch of, like, empty holes. Right. Uh, but the more grubs you save, the the more the more grubs, like, come crawling out of those holes, and they're, like, happy to see you, and yeah. they just, like, sort of, like, wriggle around happily. It's adorable. Yeah. And then, <laughs> like, at one point in the game, they introduce a mimic grub. I don't know if you fucked oh, the mimic yeah, grub. Oh, yeah, the mimic that grub. That was such a mean trick. Yeah, no, it was awful. When you do the Coliseum, the mimic grub shows up again later. No. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, the, it's it's just like you know the grubs in the jar. You break the jar, and it goes like, <laughs> and then like, and then like it just like grows like a bunch of like like spines and like gnashing teeth, and just like zooms at you, like ready to kill you. And uh, that that really is like that's such a clever take on the mimic. It is, yeah, but, I love that because it, the mimic's a classic, a classic thing to reference. Oh it's yeah, a really cool way to do it. Yeah, broke my heart though. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, another character I love, I also loved Hornet a lot. When you fight her, her mechanics are so cool. Yeah, uh, she's got like this needle sword that she like will throw at you. Yeah, and she'll do this like uh, jump up attack that like does a bunch of needly things in a circle, and that's yeah. actually like the one time you can heal. Yeah, if you yeah. jump into it, it damages you. Yeah, yeah, and she's so fast. Yeah, uh, she's a great fight both times. You, well, I don't know if there's more than two times, but the two times I fought her, she's a yeah. great fight. I think there might be a third fight. I don't know. Hmm. Um, I don't know about that. Hmm. One final character I want to say also that I love is Zote or Zote. I don't know how you're supposed to say his name, oh, but like the, the mighty warrior Zote. Yeah, who who's just always getting into trouble. Right? right. So like you have the option of saving him a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And if you do, then eventually you get to see him in other places. Yeah. Uh, for instance, uh, you fight him at the end of, I think, the first Coliseum. Have you oh. done any of the Coliseum challenges? Have um, you unlocked I've, the Coliseum? Uh, yes, yes, I did do the Coliseum. Yeah. Did you do all three levels of it? I, I did the first level. Okay, I did the first two. I Try the third one, but I had to give up. That's I had fair. to go do other stuff. Oh, that's fair. Uh, so, you know, you fight Zote uh, uh, in the Coliseum. I didn't see Zote. Oh, you must not have saved him then I, uh, the I second s- time. Yeah, I've saved him once, but not twice. Yeah, ouch. Um, so you fight him. But then my favorite thing about Zote. So Zote is like this crotchety warrior who like every time you save him, he's very ungrateful. Yeah. He's like, I meant to be there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How dare you interrupt my great plans? <laughs> and then yeah. you see him... Um, at the save area in the Coliseum. Yeah. Like, I guess if you've saved him enough times, he's like down there. Right. He's like, if you fight me, you'll regret it sort of stuff. Right. Right. Then you fight him and beat him. And then, um, if you find another character named Bretta, who's like a little grub woman who owns the house next to the shopkeeper in Dirtwood. Oh, Oh, okay. Um, if you find her, then her house unlocks and she's like obsessed with both you and Zote. Oh. And you can fight a dream version of Zote in her basement. And it is so fucking hard. Oh, man. <laughs> and the text that plays, like, it's like the beautiful, the glorious, the majestic, mighty Zote or whatever. Oh, my and God. It's like, he's like 30 times the size. Oh. And he's so, he's like got a shit ton of health. And he's really hard. He like flails this apay about back and forth as he's like chasing after you. Oh, and it's God. the most adorable, ridiculous animation. Holy uh, shit. That's I a- love the arc that that character goes on. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, I never met Bretta. Yeah, she's um she's in a pretty early area, uh, which is why I had completely forgotten about her. Right. Um, but she's in a pretty early area. She's just like 
you're going down some dirt tunnel uh-huh. and she's like just up and to the left of you huh. she's like a big purple grub and there's just no way to get to her at first you need okay. the um the mantis claw so that you can do wall yeah, jumps wall and jumps, stuff yeah. but like you see her so early i completely forgot about it by the time i got the mantis claw huh. and then i was and then i was like how do i do this thing and then i, I looked it up and i'm just like oh that's how you get her huh. um so you probably still could rescue her okay um but yeah anyway characters in this game are great they really are they're yeah. so well animated and all of the the little guttural sounds that they all make are so yes. great yeah like the, it's it's weird that <laughs> it's weird that a game with like no real voice dialogue has such good voice acting <laughs> yeah. you know like the the woman that runs the map shop right like yeah. her, her like her little oh si- like her little side she's like uh papa nod you know yeah, like yep, yep. yeah uh my God, there's so many great paths these characters go on. I want to spoil another one for you, which is, um, have you gotten all of Cornifer's maps? Not all of them, okay. but close. So Cornifer is uh, this bug that sells you maps in the game yeah. of the various areas you're in. So one thing that the game does to make it like a little bit trickier is um, until you have a map of an area, you can't like the game, your map will not populate with where you've been in that area. Yeah. So you have to buy the map to have all like the crevasses like yeah. show up in your map. And so you've got to find Cornifer in each place. And then once you find him, he'll sell you the map to the area. Yeah. When you've bought all of his maps, he goes home. Oh. And uh, next time you go into the shop, he's just snoring up on the bed above the shop. Oh. And she's and the shopkeeper's wife is like, yeah, he's home now. And that's great. He just sleeps the whole time. But I'm glad he's home. <laughs> he's just like snoring away up there. <laughs> it's so adorable. Because every time while you're buying stuff from her when he's out in the world, she talks about how she misses him because he's gone. Right. And then he's back and all he does is sleep. Oh, that's so, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Oh, it's so good. Uh, oh, man. One other thing I love about the characters in this game. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've been talking about this for no, tar- no, no, no. Do it. Do it. Do it. Uh, cloth. When Cloth shows up in yeah. the uh, Trader Lord fight, it's a surprise. You don't expect her. Like you right. see her at the start of the Queen's Gardens, which is where the Trader Lord is. Uh. Um, and she's like, you know, there's a big mean person up there you know maybe if we both get to the end of it we'll talk about our experiences it's like you know she's there right uh so but then when you're fighting the traitor lord like first it's a couple of these jerk traitor mantises which are a little bit different than the other mantises in the game okay um and you're just like fighting them and you're like whatever and then like the second one appears and as it's about to attack you cloth drops from the sky and smashes it with her giant stick Uh, and she goes oh like she does like a xena warrior princess scream it's so amazing because it's this character who was so like shy and cowardly and then shows up and murders a creature and then like does this primal scream and it's like i just love that oh my god it's so cute oh that's yeah Ah, uh, this game just has really great characters, and it doesn't need to, but no, it, does, it really does. Oh man, it's amazing! It's great. So I think that's all we really wanted to say. I mean, I could talk about all the characters in this game. Oh man, ad, yeah, ad nauseum. But let's talk about the game design a little bit because we haven't really talked about what playing Hollow Knight is like. Yeah, yeah. And we should probably do that because playing this game is most of playing this game. Yeah. <laughs> How profound! <laughs> Thank you. I have my PhD in profundity. Um. <laughs> So in Hollow Knight, it's pretty, the mechanics are fairly simple. Um, you're walking around the map. You've got a jump button. You've got an attack button. You have this little nail, as the game calls it. It's like a little sword. Yeah. And you uh, attack things with your little nail. Mm-hmm. Um, as the game goes on, you unlock more power. So at first, you just basically have those two abilities and a short-range dash. Yeah, and the uh, the ability to uh, to heal yourself. That's right. So when you hit uh, creatures with your nail, at least early on in the game, you have 
other things that you do get energy other ways you bring in this soul and then yeah. as the game goes on you get more uses for the soul but you start out with just the ability to hold um, a button and heal yourself yeah. using the soul so you deplete the soul to put energy back in yourself yeah and um, you have these little masks of health and every time you get hit you lose a mask and then you can use the energy to the soul to regrow one of those masks essentially yeah as the game goes on you add to these abilities um your nail gets stronger of course when you find the nail smith um, but also you get the ability to shoot your soul out into a blast attack which can be very useful for enemies who are far away um or uh who you want to keep some distance from um, you also get the ability to uh, to double jump at a point. Mm-hmm. You get the ability to do wall jumps. You get the ability to fly across the screen, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like uh, if you hold the left bumper, uh, you, you just shoot in the opposite direction, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and you can use this to do some wall platforming because, like, you can go from wall to wall if they're very far away. Yeah. Or um, if you're going over, like, a pit of spikes, you can use it to go from one platform to the other. Yeah. It's um, very cool. No, it's very, very cool. And yeah, like the the more the more abilities you get, like the cooler some of like the the traversal puzzles in the game yeah. get. There's one sequence where like you need to get across like this long gap. You do your your fly move where you like just jet across the screen, but then like you hit a pillar, so you need to like wall jump on the pillar, you know, jump onto the other side, and it's surrounded by spikes. You need to like do your jump like really <laughs> specifically, yeah. And you get to the other side, and then you jet again. Then finally, there's so many obstacles in the way that you can't, like, jet. You have to just, like, jump from the pillar, and there's a bunch of spikes beneath you, and you just need to whack uh, whack the spikes from, with your nail from above to sort of give bounce yourself... Off yeah, of to, yeah. yeah, just bounce off of them and, and give yourself, like, upward momentum as you also, like, go across this area just filled with obstacles. And, it like, it's just... So many, like, daunting, like, things, like, in your way simultaneously, but, like, it's just really satisfying to get yeah. to the other end and pull it off. Like, I think some of the hardest platforming puzzles I've ever done are in that game, and, like, I was capable of doing them right. because of all the tools they gave me, and it's so satisfying. And friend of the podcast, Colin, um, is further ahead in this game than we are, Yeah, uh, and he's let us know that there's an area called the White Palace, which is all platforming yes. there are actually no enemies yeah and apparently it's extraordinarily difficult bit of platforming yeah he called it like meat boy hard basically um but i think you know the the uh the, as you unlock the abilities everything's so fluid it feels like really great to, to do all these platforming challenges oh yeah yeah i think one bit of really excellent game design uh specifically is um your regular jump just your your b jump Mm-hmm. Uh, is pressure sensitive, yeah. which is such a brilliant bit of game design. Um, so when you press jump, it's not just the standard height you jump to every time. Yeah, the yeah. harder you press it, the higher you jump up to, yeah. you know, with an upward bound, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this makes for some... <laughs> you just like fly. <laughs> you just fly out of the switch. Yeah. Um, but this makes also for some really challenging platforming because like yeah. every now and then you'll have spikes but above and below you yeah. and you can only jump so high uh-huh. or else you hit the spike and then you'll have to start the platforming over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so having that pressure sensitivity on the jump makes for so much more dynamic gameplay yes. um, because it makes their ability to craft challenging platforming exponentially more interesting. Yeah. It's just a really brilliant piece of small but impactful game design. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Also, one thing I love about sort of the progression that you unlock these power-ups 
is that this is the first Metroidvania I've seen where one of the last power-ups you get is the double jump. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's usually, right. usually one of the first things you get. <laughs> right. But because, like, this game is so, like, platforming dependent and the double jump makes so many of these platforming sequences easier, like, they, they make that one of, like, the last rewards you get and it just feels so good when you finally get it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, this ties into the exploration aspect, but, like, there's a lot of backtracking in the game to areas where you've been to before, but you couldn't get to a thing because you didn't have the tools. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so once you finally unlock what you need to go do those things and then you see what's on the other side of it, it's all very uh, rewarding. And, you know, backtracking is no one's favorite thing in video games. Yeah. Um, But I think for the most part, it's handled fairly well in Hollow Knight. Yeah, it's it's really good because, like, the the world is so circular and there's so, like... There's so many sequences where you'll be exploring, like, one end and then suddenly end up somewhere that you've been before. Right. And then it's like, oh, while I'm here, like, I have, like, three new abilities that I didn't have last time I was here. <laughs> right. Why don't I explore this area in new ways? And, like, yeah, it never felt like it's like, okay, I got to go back to this area. It's like, oh, hey, what what's new in this place now? Exactly. I think one really good example of that is... um a zone I'm forgetting the name of, but you go to it pretty early. It's the one with like the balloon jellyfish guys. Um. Oh yeah. The uh. Oh. Uh, it's not. Is that the fungal wastes or is it next to the fungal wastes? It's. It's. Uh. Yeah. It's. It's either the fungal. I. I think it's that place it's, next to the fungal. It's the, next the to the fog. The fog, fog canyon. Maybe? Fog canyon. Yeah. Yeah. So that you unlock that area very early in the game, and Cornifer is behind one of those black mist gates that you need the special dash to get through. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. That is. Fog even canyon, though you yeah. have access to this area it's not until much later in the game that you can actually map it which is again like a really neat little bit of game design yeah and that's i think one of the reasons why backtracking in this game isn't a chore because they have built it in such a way that you backtrack in meaningful ways it's not just like oh i need a key for this door and like seven hours from now i'll find the key right it's like oh i have this ability and now i can do these things that i had a hint of and now I know I can go do them. I think yeah. that's really a better way to do backtracking. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of the way that Metroidvanias are built, like Metroid and Castlevania right. both both do that uh, pretty well. But Hollow Knight still does it, like, so well. It does yeah. it better than some Metroid and Castlevania well, that was games. Like when yeah. the, that was probably the major complaint about Metroid Prime, wasn't it? With, like, the backtracking in that game was a nightmare. It was, was really rough, like, in in like the last leg of that game yeah. yeah that's that's what i've heard too so i think we've we've kind of beaten around the bush when it comes to exploring Hollow Knight, and that's really i think where there's a lot of the meat on the conversation to be had right uh so as we've kind of hinted at as you as you move through the various areas of this game you unlock all these amazing beautifully designed regions yeah. that all feel so different from one another yeah and it's really amazing mm. um and within that, there are some fast travel points, um, the stag system. Yeah, oh, love the stag. And so you unlock at somewhat infrequent intervals yeah. um, this ability to like ring a bell and this like six or eight legged stag creature will yeah. come and carry you to a different fast travel point that you've unlocked. Yeah. And I think it's a really great system. I wouldn't have minded if there were maybe like one or two more stagways. Right, yeah, that's fair. Like so- just in the center of the map, really, sometimes it feels like yeah. you're just missing one or two. Yeah, yes, I agree with that. Yeah. Some, so, so yeah, sometimes they're a little far away from each other. A little right. Bit. Especially when you've missed something obvious and it feels like, oh God, I want to go back and do that thing. And you look at the yeah. map and it's like, I got to do like 10 minutes of walking to get to this yeah, place. Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't have minded it just a little bit. That's fair. But the zones are all so 
amazingly rendered. Yes. Uh, and they're so detail rich. Yeah. And like I said, they all feel really different from oh, yeah. one another. Yeah. And they're connected to each other in such meaningful ways. Yes. Yeah. That's all true. I agree with all that wholeheartedly. Yeah. <laughs> I was giving you space to expand on that if you want, but like, yeah, it's basically like, yeah, yeah. that's, that's kind of how it is. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. That's... I guess in lieu of that, I'll ask you if you had any specific zones that you really enjoyed exploring. The City of Tears yeah. uh, is just really cool, just filled with like all these, you know, these abandoned buildings and these, it really sells the setting, you know, this this is sort of like the the kingdom that this great kingdom that they used to have and you sort of see it in kind of shambles now it they they just really communicate that in a lot of really cool ways in the setting and i i like that a lot uh i really like the the crystal peak area yeah like super colorful just like gorgeous yeah a lot of like cool enemy designs like this those like bugs that just sort of like crawled along like the surfaces and shot lasers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. th- those were like, uh, God, those are really frustrating, but like really cool. Yeah, I, I really like the whole aesthetic and vibe of Crystal Peak a lot. And I like, I got to give props to Deep Nest for mm. giving me legit anxiety whenever I was down there. Yeah. Like, and like the music the, is so creepy and ambient. Yes, yeah. Deep Nest was just so tense. Every moment in Deep Net- Nest was so just, ugh, just. My back would hurt anytime I finished a deep nest run because <laughs> I, so I, yeah, I, I, I would just tense up while I was while I was playing through it, and I'd like have to stop for a second and like just like you know like relax myself after being in deep nest for too long because it was just such a creepy place and all all the stuff you fought in it was so creepy and it was like like deep nest is just so like dark and yeah. it's hard to see what's in front of you and then like and then like a spider will just like a big gross spider monster will just come like barely out of your peripheral <laughs> vision and just catch uh, you off guard yeah oh oh god like uh, like i hated deep nest but i love deep nest because how because of how well it made me hate that place absolutely yeah it's like maybe a little bit hyperbolic to say, but that's what that's the place I'm in right now. Yeah. I think the world building in Hollow Knight is better than like I don't know any Western RPG I've ever seen. <laughs> like it's not even a game that's explicitly about world building, but the world that they've yeah. built. Like we're looking at a map, um, an image of the map on the computer, just so, like we can refresh our memory. Yeah, and like I have specific memories for each of those zones. Yes, and each zone is so freaking different. Like we didn't even mention like the hive. What a cool zone that is or like with the bee people and like all of the the comb stuff it's, I, I didn't even get to you didn't even get hive. to the hive oh the hive get, is uh, great oh man um some really tough enemies in the hive i believe it one thing i think is also really cool is um i forget exactly when in the game it happens um but the first area that you discover the forgotten crossroads yeah after a certain point in the game when you go back everything in it is infected yeah and like the entire the, a lot of most of the enemies in the Forgotten Crossroads change. Your yeah. paths, the paths you're able to take, are so, changed yeah, subtly. Some, some of them get like like blocked <laughs> off and just filled with like orange blobs, and you can't go there anymore. Yeah, yeah, and I forget exactly what the moment was that caused that infestation to happen. I I think it's when you awaken the dreamers. Okay. Yeah, but uh, it's just it's such it's such a cool thing, and it was so unexpected. Like when I went back into Forgotten Crossroad, I was like expecting it just to be what it was, and right. I was like, wait. What is yeah. going on? Yeah, here? and then it just is like infected <laughs> crossroads. In yeah, the, in like the low, the lower left corner, and everything is just filled with like gross, like orange blobs, and mm-hmm. just the enemies are so much harder. 
it was a good way to sort of take this place that, that had become really easy to traverse right, right. Uh, and and make it like a tense moment that you had to be active during again. Again, it's that, that level of thought from, from this production team is just insane. The insane level of detail they put into the into Absolutely, the yeah. No, it's crazy. The zones are like, I mean, enough of a reason for me, for anyone to play this game, is just to, just to feel the exploration in Hollow Knight. And what it feels like to come across a new zone. Yeah. And like, it's midnight. Yeah. <laughs> and right. it's like, well, wait, I just got to this new place. I've got to find at least a bench. Right. Let me find yeah. a bench and then I'll go to sleep. A, a bench being how you like save your game. Right. Yeah. Thank you. We didn't mention that part. Right. <laughs> um, benches are where you save. They also are where you rest and heal. Yes. <clears throat> so each zone has a number of benches in it. And like finding them is like finding a checkpoint, essentially. Yeah. It's like, sorry, let me find a bench and then I'll go to bed. Yeah. Find the bench. Well, let me see if I can find Cornifer. Yeah. Because <laughs> then I'll at least know where I am. That seems yeah, like a nice right? thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. I found Cornifer. <laughs> but there's a path there. <laughs> that looks interesting. And like, it's just this iterative process of being unable to stop wanting to explore. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And that wouldn't be true. I mean, the game is satisfying enough on its own, but that level of of desire wouldn't be true if the zones weren't so incredibly designed. No, it's true. It's again, it's really crazy how you are underground with a bunch of bugs <laughs> and they make every area of the game feel so diverse and so different and yeah. interesting. Yeah. And no, so many different incredible. modes of travel. Like you unlock the trams yeah, and, and like those take you on a specific path, obviously, but right. like, that's a really cool thing that you get. Yes. And, and you get like a tramway pass that you have to use. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and that, so it's like that was it's really, really cool. it's really easy to imagine this like bustling bug metropolis yeah. with like little bugs with their tramway passes. Yeah, and it's kind of adorable. And then you realize it's not adorable because what you're talking about is like murdering bugs with nails. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like a little creepy, but it's great. It is. Oh god, it's so good. So I mean, I think that's mostly the mechanics conversation. I know there were a few like one or two kind of sticky issues we had. I know you specifically had one with the quick cast ability. Yeah. So. Uh, one of the integral abilities in the game is the ability to do a dash, right? You can do the dash in midair, you can do it on the ground, and you hit uh, R2. You hit the, the, the right, yeah, you, you hit the, the shoulder the, button? The, the trigger. The yeah. trigger, right. You right. hit the, the right trigger on your controller to do that move. There's also an ability that you have called quick cast. To cast spells, you can press or hold the A button. But if you just want to get like a fireball out, like really quick, you can tap R1 to do it instead. So... Something I found myself doing, especially in a lot of the early half of the game, was I'd want to dash and then I'd shoot out a fireball and die, right. <laughs> you know, uh, because I hit quick cast instead by just barely brushing Raising it. With it. The, yeah, yeah, it's very with, sensitive. Yeah, very sensitive. And that that stopped being a problem as often because I just became hyper aware of it and made sure that my finger was kind of like just like on the edge of the right bumper right uh, the right trigger right uh so i would only dash when i wanted to but there's still a couple really like really intense boss fights where i start panicking and i just <laughs> graze that r uh graze that right bumper and uh and I that would usually be what kills me. And like the thing I don't understand about that from a design perspective is the quick cast feels very unnecessary. Yeah. Like to shoot off the soul blast, all you have to do is tap A anyway. Yeah. I don't I'm I guess it's theoretically faster to use your pointer finger to do that than move your thumb over to do that. Right. But it the, doesn't seem fast enough to warrant inclusion. Yeah. And the thing that gets me is that you can't turn off quick cast. Right. Yeah, they should just make that a customizable yeah, function. Yeah, that that should be a toggle I and options. I don't want it on. Yeah. 
So a minor quibble, but like very, still very one that minor, still yeah. one that had functional implications because you yes. die because of it. Yeah, yeah. Like eventually, like I I was able to train my myself to not let that happen. But I feel like it'd just be a nice little quality of life if you could have the option to to have or not have a quick cast because quick cast was never something that was necessary to progress in the game. Right. Yeah, like I didn't even know it was a thing until I accidentally used it. Same. The yeah. game actually doesn't teach you about it as far as I know. No, it I doesn't. Just, no. It's like, wait, why did I shoot off a soul blast there? That's yeah. weird. I had a, some some similar issues. Um, as the game goes on, you uh, unlock the ability to do different attacks with your soul. Um, uh. If you hold up and A, you do an upward attack with the soul blast. That oh, is, neat. Um, it's not just a straight shot. It does like a big cloud of attack upwards. Oh, neat. Um, you also get the down A, which is like a ground smash. Yeah, um, I, got, I got that one. Yeah. There are a couple of times when I was just trying to do a, a soul shot, whatever it's called, soul blast. And I was just barely tilting the joystick up. And so I did an up attack instead, completely missing the enemy, obviously. Right. Because it's a very different attack pattern. Yeah. And that was frustrating a little bit. Sometimes That's... I found that the joystick was... And I also had the same issue when attacking downwards. Like mm-hmm. sometimes I thought I was attacking down and like bouncing off a pit or whatever. Right. But I was attacking just to the left, so I didn't hit downwards, and then I hit the spikes and died. Yeah. So sometimes the joystick positioning I got a little bit flustered on. Yeah, that's fair. Again, I, uh, minor quibble, but yeah, I've I never accidentally ground pounded, which was good. But I I might have had that problem with the uh, with the upward ability if I had ever gotten it. Yeah. Um, I, one thing we didn't touch on real quick before we kind of talk about a few other things and then wrap up was sure. uh, some of the collection aspects. So uh, just to rattle off some of the things you get in the game. Right. Uh, I think the most uh, significant stuff you collect in the game are the uh, emblems, which yeah. you can use to kind of in a customizable fashion. Charms. Yeah. So you get the charms. Yeah. Um, sometimes you get them from being bosses. Um, there are various stores you can buy them from. Sometimes you find them from just, you know, finding a random area on the map. There yeah. are many different ways you can collect charms. Uh, and they give you uh, unique abilities that you can then switch into. You get notches, essentially, and each charm costs a certain number of notch slots. Yeah. And so you can customize it to your uh, um, your preference. There are, are charms that let you collect more soul when you attack enemies. There are charms that let you uh, collect soul when you get hit. Um, there are charms that increase the effect of your magic attacks, so those soul attacks we were talking about. Um, there are some really useful charms that extend the range of your nail, uh, so you can attack in a larger... A radius right. which is important because your character is very small um so they're all like there are i don't know 30 ish charms or something like that in the game mm-hmm. um that you can collect and uh, like i said customize your loadout essentially and build the kind of character that you uh, want to play with yeah um it's really cool it's very flexible and the the charm loadout can really change your yeah. character in the way that they feel I, I was having a lot of trouble with the boss near the end of the game, the uh, the Watcher Knights, sort of these roly-poly guys that, like, roll around and, and and just mess you up because they fight you two at a time and they're kind of relentless. And I just kept losing to them, so I, I went around, I explored some more, and I got a bunch of charms, and I, I changed my whole loadout so that I uh, so that I could heal myself faster yeah. and, uh, and have more life to start and, and just do some things to make that fight more more easy to to deal with and i i finally beat them like barely too <laughs> uh but it was cool that i was i was able to have such an effect on the fight by changing my loadout like that yeah there's another little bit of great uh gameplay design in that um there are also hidden interactions behind the charms um so uh various charms will interact with each other and make yeah. each other more powerful right i didn't know that um, i like you know an npc did tell me about the mechanic but i never got to see it for myself did you uh... it's not explicit 
Yeah. Um, like, I don't think it ever says, like, oh, you've matched these two together. Well oh, done, little bug. But they'll, like, kind of light up next to each other. I guess right? so, or, yeah. yeah. I for, Maybe. I guess that happens. I didn't notice if it did. Okay. Probably it does. Okay. I think the game even says that it does now that you mentioned it. It, it sounds does. familiar. Yeah. But I didn't look. Okay. Um, but, yeah, there are a couple that, like, if you match them up, you get just amplified effects, essentially, of what the, the charms do. Oh, nice. It's just neat. Yeah, that is neat. Well, what's what's one since I asked you? Uh, one that I vaguely remember and don't quote me on it is um, there's uh, there's one you get from beating the dung defender. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. which is by the way, what a boss! Yeah, he's uh, great. Oh man, <laughs> he's like a luchador yeah. who uh, throws poopy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love he's him. He's so good, and he's got a dream variant too, which is oh, like no, yeah, it's called the white defender. Oh boy. Um, uh, when you get when you beat him, you get a charm that like gives you a stinky aura. Yeah, and if you pair that with another one that does something with with your aura or something, it like just does more damage or something. Um, I don't oh, remember oh, exactly. Oh yeah, when, uh, yeah, there, there's one that was like sort of like hit or when when you use your soul, like you yeah you, you like sh- you, shoot, shoot off some spores. Spores, yeah, that's the one. If you combine those two, their effects are amplified or something. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, this game's so cool. It's great. It's really great. All those little things are just so well thought out. Um, another one of the important collectibles in the game is the rancid eggs. Yeah. And you use those essentially whenever you die, as long as you're not in the dream world, whenever you die, um, your soul gets left behind. A dark souls thing. Yeah. Yeah. A shadow of you gets left behind your, where you die. Your shade. I think. Your shade. Thank yeah. you. And all of your geo, your in-game money that you've collected stays with your shade. Right. For reasons. Um, <laughs> And there's a character in Dirtmouth, which is like the above ground area of the game. Uh, Gigi. Yeah, Gigi. And if you give Gigi a rancid egg, Gigi will bring your your shade back to you. Yes. So instead of having to go find it, like this is a real lifesaver in terms of time. If you're oh, yeah. off exploring further than you know, you're, you've done a bad thing. Yeah. You've explored too far. You're too far from a bench. Yeah. You don't know where you are because you haven't found the map yet. Yeah. And you die against some random ass boss and you know you can't go back there. Yeah. You go up to Gigi, you give her a rancid egg and then she'll bring your soul back up for you. Yeah. Because if you die a second time after after your shade separates from you, your shade holding all of your money disappears yes. and gets replaced with that new shade. I have definitely lost at least 3,000 Geo in this game. Oh, yeah. No, I've, <laughs> I've lost about like six or 7,000 yeah. <laughs> Geo just, just to that shit. Uh, and, you know, there there's ways to... I love the way this game, like, teaches you things just, just without... Without any tutorials, just by giving you life lessons. Yeah, exactly. You know, and like, <laughs> yeah. and when I lost 3,000 Geo at once for the first time, I was like, oh, that's why there's a bank in this game. But the bank is, it's like, you got to get to the bank. I never, no, no, I never used the bank because I, I, I just actually, didn't want to yeah. take the time to do it. Yeah, I actually never used the bank either. But, <laughs> but that, like, I remember when I first saw the bank, I was like, that's stupid. Why would I ever need a and Then you bank? lost 3,000 Geo. You're like, fuck. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, oh, oh. Yeah. And, uh, and more more stuff that I actually use, like that first fight with Hornet, right? Yeah. Like, like she she messes you up pretty easily, especially that early in the game. If you just if you're only fighting her head on with your with your nail, that game kind of teaches you to shoot magic at your yes. at your opponent. You know, like yeah. because I was not able to beat her until I started using my magic, and I really wasn't up until that point. Right, and then you're like, oh, well, it's very useful. I should yeah. use this. Yes, exactly. There are some other little collectible things. I don't think it's worth getting into like every little collectible thing, but I just wanted to point out a couple of the more meaningful uh, items you can collect. But yeah, because there's, there's a lot of cool strewn, ones. Yeah, yeah, there's stuff strewn throughout the world. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's all over. It's all worth collecting. It's all really cool. 
So switching gears and talking about bosses, because you just mentioned, I think, your least favorite boss, at least the one you had the hardest time oh, with. Oh, God, the Watcher Knights sucked. Like, I I was like, I was legit mad at how hard they were well, at first, but then I, I was able to beat them. And like every encounter in Hollow Knight, like they are overcomable, you know, and, yes, and not like. That's very important. Not like, yeah, they're. It wasn't unfair, but that was the closest boss to feeling unfair that I'd experienced like tw- like 22 hours into the game yeah. at that point. So I was just taken aback. But really, like it was just like, oh no, I I was just really under leveled and really inexperienced, and I needed to like I needed to build myself up more and come back stronger. Like, and I'm laughing over here, but because what's really funny about that to me is I didn't have that hard of a time with the Watcher Knights, <laughs> right? And I think that's a a point about Hollow Knight is like every gamer is going to have different struggles and things that they're better at right um but yeah the watcher knights i definitely tried them for probably 20 minutes before i beat them right but it didn't take me that long all things considered compared to a lot of the other bosses i i didn't have as hard of a time with them right um i actually really liked that fight a lot i thought it was really engaging and like fast-paced and really interesting and really dynamic um they were a huge pain (laughs) because well this is interesting because you were saying that you don't really use your magic all that much yeah and i think for me the easiest way to beat them was to wait till they so essentially their attack pattern is they attack you in twos yeah usually you can kill the first one before the second one joins yeah i Uh, I was able to do that eventually and you have to beat them five times yeah there is a sixth one but there's a way to kill him before he fights you yeah uh so you have to beat them five times essentially and they'll fight you essentially in twos yeah um and the way I the way I ended up doing it was I would use my down attack to like bounce off of them as they rolled at me, yeah. And then when they would line up, I would just spam my um my soul shot at them. By that time, I had the upgraded version of the soul shot and the charm that made your magic more powerful, yeah. And so I would just like keep doing that, and they died pretty quickly because each of them was not super high health. Yeah, that that's eventually what I had to do. Like I did end up equipping. I usually didn't have the make your magic stronger thing equipped. At the time I first fought them, I had the weaker soul shot. Oh, yeah. Several other things in which I was weaker. So, like, I went back, I got those things, I came back, and eventually ended up doing what you said you did, bouncing off of them and kiting them with magic. Yeah. And that's how I finally won. But, man, it was still close. I had, like, one health left. Like, yeah. Ah. There, there are a few better feelings in Hollow Knight than beating a boss with one health left. Yeah. Oh, and man. then, like, freaking out because you don't have any soul and you need to explore a little bit more. Right. It's like, what's around this corner? Yeah. Please yeah, don't right, be an enemy right, or a yeah. spike. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the bosses I had the hardest time with, obviously, are the dream bosses. Oh, yeah. So, they're... Daniel mentioned the dream area stuff a little bit yeah uh, but essentially there's these optional bosses uh where once you defeat certain in-game bosses there are dream versions of them which are basically like them on steroids uh, i think there are five dream bosses in the game i beat one i beat the lost kin and then i fought a handful of others and was like fuck this and have not gone back to them since in particular the soul master i don't even know how i'm going to beat him oh, like man. i don't know what i'm supposed to do against the soul master and um zote his his dream version is very hard right those bosses are tough did you yeah. have any bosses in particular that you enjoyed fighting yeah there there are a couple that i really liked i think my favorite is the collector so we talked about the grubs we talked about the cute little collectible bugs you you get to save uh there's this there's this tower that you unlock with a key called the love key. And once you unlock it, you just hear like sort of this creepy laughter coming from it. I don't think I fought this boss. Oh, man. I don't think I've been to this area. Oh man, it's amazing. So, you, so yeah, there's a place called the love tower. You get in there and you just see like all these bugs in jars, right? Some of them are like, 
most of them are just dead, but some of them are just oh, like no. so, some of them are just I've like definitely not been to this area. Some of them are just like enemies, like trapped in jars. And uh, and the farther you go up the tower, like the more you just hear like this laughter, like ha, 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 ha. like you know, like very creepy. Very, yeah, very very creepy. And and you also hear some grubs like sort of crying, like and you and the laughing is like as if you, they're like playing with the grubs or something. And then you get into the boss room and just this bipedal, uh, this bipedal thing with like six arms and they're like twice as tall as you with a face that's like kind of similar to Hollow Knight's but like more like more like sort of uh unhinged and like and like sprawled out uh like just like lands and like it just lets out like this insane laugh they're like oh, 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 oh. and and then they just like the boss fight is them like jumping around erratically while insanely laughing and like clawing oh, at geez. you but then they'll just jump up like into the sky where you can't reach them and drop down jars right and the jars will shatter and other enemies will emerge from them like oh, bugs bugs that you fought like you know that's like, a very hard boss archetype for me yeah you know like those little firefly bl- bugs yeah. that like shoot orange stuff at you those uh the, the little roly-poly guys yeah they'll just drop down jars that like those enemies will pop out of and they'll attack you and they'll be attacking you and as they're attacking you uh the collector will jump back down and try to hit you while you're trying to deal with these other bugs oh my god right that sounds tough oh man it was i spent like two hours on the collector alone but i loved that fight like it was so frustrating but the collector was a so entertaining and yeah. so crazy and hilarious and b like the more i fought it like the closer i got to just like i'm like oh i'm so close i'm so close there's there was actually one point where uh i landed the, like the last hit right and uh and the collector like slumps over and stays that way for like for like seven, you know, for several seconds, like, oh, good, this is the part where I wail on it until it dies, and I start wailing on it, and then I, and then, uh, and then, like, I look up to my left, and a firefly still there, oh, and it no. hits. Me. I'm at one life, and it hits me with that fireball, and I die, and I have to do the whole oh, boss fight God. over. Oh my, yeah, oh, that's so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I hate those fireflies. Right, yeah, but then I did manage to beat it for real, and then like you get to go to the top floor of the uh, of the collectors tower and they just have three grubs you know they have three whole like grubs are very like you know they're a scarce thing but they you get to free three grubs that's satisfying yeah which is like you know which is like a thousand dollars worth of rewards right there and then uh and then they have just an easel uh with the collector's map on it and the collector's map uh Let's you see where all the remaining grubs are. Oh my god! Okay, I gotta so go find good. that guy. So good, so yep. good, so good. Gotta go do that fight. Oh my god! Yeah, it. Yes, please. No, love the collector. Really entertaining boss fight. Amazing reward for beating them. Just a lot of fun. Uh, what a like that was an incredibly memorable experience. Just the, just the collector boss fight. You got any favorites? I mean, just on design alone, the dung defender. Like Dunk what, what a was, cool oh, freaking yeah, design! No, amazing, and like not a very hard boss fight, but yeah. a fun one. Yeah, really fun. I think the hardest non-dream boss was the Traitor Lord. Uh, he does double Ooh. damage, oh, and geez. like I spent the most amount of time on that of any fight other than a dream boss fight. That's fair. And beating him was very satisfying because that was a bitch of a fight. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't my favorite like fight design, right? Uh, but it was very satisfying to to defeat. Nice. One really cool fight that I liked a lot was the Mantis Lords, actually. Yeah. Uh, like, very cool. Yeah. Like, basically, you find like these three, like, 
you know, very regal looking mantises and chairs. And then one of them jumps down and fights you with like some, some pretty tough attack patterns, but then they get like pretty predictable, you know, it's like, okay, okay, cool. I figured this out. And then you beat the first mantis and then he goes back up and he slumps down in his chair. And then the other two mantises jump yeah. out of their chairs and you have to fight <laughs> both of them simultaneously while they're both doing different elements of the attack pattern. And, uh, and this was like, oh, I wasn't, I wasn't really fighting the boss until right. now. That was definitely one of the times in the game where the difficulty ramped up. Yeah. Like, that was, a, that was a definite difficulty spike. Yeah. But like, lear- but like learning that attack pattern, yeah. like you level up, like yeah. as, as a player by playing that boss fight. Absolutely. And it's really cool, really satisfying. And I love the Mantis Lords in particular because they're, they're basically like in, in a section of the game called the Mantis Village filled with all like these Mantis enemies and stuff. After you beat the Mantis Lords, the Mantis enemies stop attacking. Yeah, you get an achievement called Respect. Yeah. And then they'll just stop. And every time you approach one, they bow to you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's, there's actually such a great piece of design. Yeah. Right. There's actually a room in, in the Mantis village where you like walk in and there's a door that a mantis just like locks before you can get to it. They just like hit a switch and the door like like latches up and you can't get past it. But once you beat the mantis lords and you go back there, they unlock the door for you and bow. It's a such beautiful design. Yeah. I think the mantis lord fight was the first time I texted you like Oh, dot dot dot. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you've heard Hollow Knight's a hard game. And up to that point, like, there were difficult moments. Right. That, like I said, I think that was when the difficulty really spiked for the first time. Yes. But a yeah. great fight. Yeah. No, fantastic. So I want to start wrapping up the conversation. And the last thing we want to talk about is presentation. Right. I feel like we've covered a lot of it already. Yeah. Um, the music is very atmospheric and yeah. it's not overly noticeable, but it's well done. Right. The art is gorgeous, as we said. Yeah. And I think one of the real, we've kind of hinted at this, but one of the real standout components of the design is the sound design. Yeah. And this actually, again, ties back to one of the conversations we had about Psychonauts. Yeah. Which was that... Um, the game would try to clue you into where some of these collectibles were, yeah. but they didn't know how to fade in and out the sound design. Yes. So you just stand in one area because you were like reading some dialogue and you'd hear a bag crying. It's, <laughs> it's fucking hard out in the corner. And you couldn't do anything about it while you're trying to read this dialogue. <laughs> but in hollow Knight, you can hear these various, like each of these characters we've mentioned, like cloth mm-hmm. and, um, Cornifer and Zote, they each have their own like little sounds they make. Yeah. The bosses have little sounds that they make too sometimes. Yeah. Uh, some of the enemies do and all these other things. And so like just by listening to the environment, you can tell when you're getting close to something. Yes. And like the grubs that's mentioned, you can hear them crying. And just that that little bit of like knowing how to fade in and out that design properly. Yes. So that you are designed to go towards it and know when you're getting closer. <laughs> it's excellent execution. Yeah. No, I agree with that completely. There's there's actually one enemy in particular. There are these little uh bats that like hang oh, on God. the ceiling. Yeah. Uh and then when they notice you, they light up and they zoom towards you and explode and there's this big explosion radius that does like two health to you, which is huge. That's yeah. that's a that's a significant yeah, double chunk. damage. But when you're in an area with those bats, you just hear like their little like like yeah, they, they make a really cute sound, actually. Yeah, yeah, and and then they just like scream when when you get close. Just like knowing that they're near is what makes those enemies balanced. Yes. And like as as a whole, the art is beautiful, the animations oh, are beautiful, but the sound is really, I think, like one of the standout design components for me. No, God, the the sound is is probably some of the best sound design I've seen in a video game. It's yeah. it's just every, everything is placed exactly where it needs to be. Uh yep. Every aspect of this game's design is so like meticulous and so well thought out. Nothing is there by accident in this game. Uh, that goes for like the entire design process for this whole thing. I 
I'm like fascinated by how well designed it is. It's, yes. And the fact that like, it's not like a first party studio right. of like, of a game company that's been yeah. doing this for decades. The yeah. fact that this is like, this is just one, this is the first game and they just worked on it for like six friggin' years. It's very impressive. Oh man. I, th- this game is inspiring. Like yeah. how well it's made. It really is. I agree with you. And the fact that there's so much DLC content, yeah. the game doesn't, Hollow Knight never feels bloated to me. Yeah. Like, I never feel like, oh, God, more exploration, <laughs> or, oh, geez, this enemy. Right. Like, it, it, it really all feels so intuitive to the world and inherent to the world. Like, it all feels like it has a place. It never feels yeah. extraneous or bloated. Yeah. Which is really impressive. Yeah. So let's wrap it up with our final thoughts. And <clears throat> I think for me, I'll just reiterate which I, what I said at the beginning, which was, in my opinion, this goes on the list of if you're a gamer, and no gatekeeping on that. Like, if you consider yourself a gamer, <laughs> I think this is a game you should play. Yeah. Bottom line, it's it controls so well. It's designed so smart, so intelligently, and so beautifully. And if you love video games, if you love playing video games, you should play Hollow Knight. Yeah, I'm gonna piggyback on that. If you're the type, if you're the type of person that like has been hearing all this Dark Souls and like <laughs> and like Cuphead and stuff hype, and you're like, I don't want to play a game that's built to be hard. Uh, I am also that kind of person. Yeah, I'm. That's generally not my thing. I like being able to beat the games that I play. But this is a game that is that is hard in a way that encourages you and helps you get better at it. It is always challenging. But it is a surprisingly forgiving game. Like it yeah. gives, it gives you so many outs. It gives you so many ways to make the game easier for you. Even when it does things like take away all of your gold, all of your geo, <laughs> uh, there are ways to give another bug an egg so that you can get it all back without having to do too much exploration. Yeah, it's hard, but it's not punishing. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of gave my final thoughts. By accident, that's that this game is so meticulously designed, so so well crafted that it's just like it. This game feels like a miracle. This game, yeah. it's a piece of art. It's it, it feels like if if one thing was done wrong, it could have like all like shattered and fallen to pieces. But everything is in the perfect spot that it needs to be. And it like if you're like if you're just into games and the way they're made, this is such like. It's such a good thing to experience. It's it's such a it's such a worthwhile game. Absolutely, I think Hollow Knight is one of those games that is really emblematic of sometimes the most meaningful story a game tells is you playing it. Ah, oh, that's oh, that's cool. Oh, no, thank you. There's narrative in, in in Hollow Knight. Like there is a story that the game is trying to tell. Yeah, but really, that's secondary to the story of you playing through the game. Yeah. And games that can pull that off are few and far between. And I think when a game like that comes out, I think it is incumbent on gamers to play it. Yeah. Like, that is really freaking cool. Yeah. No, it's, man, it's awesome. It's fucking awesome. This game's real good. <laughs> Those are my final thoughts. This is, a, this is a great game. I love it. So go play Hollow Knight. Yeah. Do it. Daniel, 
tell the folks at home what we'll be playing for our next episode of Play This. It's going to be a. Re- Let me also interrupt real quick to say <laughs> I'm really excited about this idea. I think it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, it's very cool. <laughs> but I'm not biased at all. <laughs> so. Uh, next episode is going to be the Max Lando episode of, <laughs> of Play This. Uh, when when Max and I were were younger, when we were uh, when we were in high school together, we and our our friend and occasional Play This guest Colin played the hell out of this game called Marvel Ultimate Alliance yeah. for the Xbox 360. Uh, we have been waxing nostalgic about that game for years, and. This is a. This is also going to be a special episode because uh, Max is about to be a father. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. That's a thing. Yeah, you're having. <laughs> he's having his kid next month, and uh... <laughs> that was me knocking on wood because it really could be any day now. Yeah, my uh, my desk is also literally wooden, so he he did a good job there. Thank you. Um. So he's going to leave play this. I uh, for for a little while while he takes care. Of the the new human For life, an he's indeterminate created. amount of time. Because hey, yeah, I've never been a father before. <laughs> I don't know what that work is like. Yeah, and and play this. We'll we'll continue. We'll we'll have some guest hosts until he's ready to come back. Yeah, we'll rotate out some guest hosts throughout the time. Yeah, keep Daniel on his toes. <laughs> Since this will be the last episode before Max goes on hiatus, we want to have a really fun, really personal episode. Uh, so we're re- we're going to replay through Marvel Ultimate Alliance. With Max, myself, Colin, and Sean uh, playing through it for the first time and see how that game holds up. Yeah, and spoiler, we played a little bit of it and it holds up pretty well. <laughs> I mean, it's got its flaws, <laughs> but it holds up pretty well. <laughs> um, In yeah, my opinion. But w- you're going to have four opinions coming at you about that. Yeah. Well, theoretically, four opinions. You might have three opinions. <laughs> We'll see what this baby decides to let me do. <laughs> We've got goals, folks, but we recognize they're out of our control. Well, yeah, it it should be a really fun episode. If the stars, I, I have a feeling it's going to end up being a very timely episode because Comic-Con is nearby. There are some rumblings about game announcements that could make this very relevant. Absolutely. So, well, so fingers crossed on that, but either way, I think this will be a fun way, episode. It's going to be fun. You're going to certainly hear from three people. If we're lucky, you'll hear from four people. (laughs) (laughs) Their thoughts on Marvel Ultimate Alliance uh, next time on Play This. Yeah. Um, We forgot to do this last week, which makes sense because we were on such a long hiatus. Right. Uh, But I'd like to thank Sean for writing our uh, theme music and the interstitial music as well in between the sections of our podcast. And I'd like to thank Kessie Rilanicki for crafting that excellent logo that you see adorning every episode and as always if you have any thoughts you want to share with us uh don't hesitate to send them in to us at uh feedback at playthispodcast.com um and you know it's never too late in the game to like subscribe favorite on all of your various podcast listening apparatus. uh we're on itunes we're on stitcher we're on soundcloud um so we really do from the bottom of our hearts appreciate any support you can show the show on those mediums yeah a thousand percent agreed. Thank you so much always for listening to us. Uh, you guys make this a blast to make. So thank you. And much like an enemy in Marvel Alliance, Marvel Ultimate Alliance, that is, who has been roasted by Johnny Storm, Bween, this turkey's done. <laughs> you can you can say that, that next episode. Bye. <laughs> Play this. <laughs>
That's never been our coda. <laughs> play it. Well, I, I usually say play this. That's true. You usually yeah. do that. It was yeah. much more subdued. It was like a commandment. <laughs> play this. <laughs> Goodbye. Boing. <laughs> Game over.